Advent. And Advent is, um, as we've said a couple of times, Advent is this thing that's happened for centuries and centuries in the church where at this time of year, we actively put ourselves in the position or we try to put ourselves in the position of remembering what it would have been like to wait for the long-awaited Messiah. We, we kind of we summon up yearning in our hearts for the long-awaited Messiah. And uh, we tell stories and of, of those who, for the very first Christmas, were in that place of yearning. And we also recognize that there's a, a coming. We yearn for the Jesus to come back to fulfill the work that he started. So that's a really powerful thing. For, we remind ourselves that actually that's one of our roles. If you're here this morning and identify as a follower of Christ, then one of our roles is to kind of usher in Jesus coming back. We long for that because Scripture says that all these great things are going to be fulfilled when he comes back. And we also recognize in between those two places, here we are now, that actually there's, there's a posture that we can have in our hearts and in our lives that actually says, Jesus, we want you to come now into us. Come now to us because that's right and good for us. And so, Brett, if we could put that, uh, just the, uh, the slide up there. So we've, we've been doing two things as we've been looking through. Or there's two ways we're journeying through Advent. One is to look at these great journeys. Actually, Advent is, or the, the Christmas story is this, um, you know, there's a number of actors in it who've got their own journeys as they move towards Bethlehem. So today we looked at Mary and Joseph and how they're, literally going towards Advent. And I want to dig in in a moment, and here's a bit of a spoiler alert. We're going to actually do something together here, each of us together, where we're going to, we're going to look into and try and place ourselves and see what we can learn from the journey of Mary and Joseph. But we've also had these four, what sometimes are called watchwords, where that's hope, peace, joy, and love. And we're looking at these watchwords, and today we're looking at peace. Because we recognize that actually when Jesus comes into the world, he brings these, these things. They're, they're such they're big words, aren't they? Hope, peace, joy, love. They're big, big words. They're longings of our heart. And actually when Jesus comes, he comes as the fulfillment of hope, as the fulfillment of peace, as the fulfillment of joy and the fulfillment of love. But more than that, again, for those who call him Lord and Saviour, the, the, the role that we have, that we pick up from Jesus, is to be then the vessels of hope, the vessels of peace, the vessels of joy, the vessels of love into our world. So we're going to look at sort of these themes, and particularly today we're picking up the, the, uh, the story uh, of, of Mary and Joseph, which we looked at earlier. Kids helped us look at it earlier. But then also looking at the idea of peace. The journey of Mary and Joseph. I don't think. Do you reckon there are uh, there would be any biblical characters, maybe outside Jesus, who would be more universally known than Mary and Joseph? Like this is a story we all know, isn't it? Even if you don't have a church background, even people who are far from church, we're aware of the story of Mary and Joseph. It's kind of there in pop culture. Maybe not the significance, maybe not the detail. I want to suggest to you that the stories that we're really familiar with become very uh, we're at risk of being overly familiar and lose their significance 
And I reckon none is more true than the story of Mary and Joseph because they're so ubiquitous. They're so everywhere. They're on Christmas cards, for goodness sake. They're in, they're, you know, nativity scenes. Where they are, by definition, have become characterized, have become sort of disembodied from who the real Mary, the historical Mary and the historical Joseph were. And it's only when we get inside the story that the significance of these two people come alive because they are amazing. They're amazing people. Then what I want to do in a moment is to see what we can learn from the historical Mary and Joseph and particularly looking, what does it say that God chose these two to be the very, at the very, very centre, at the absolute very centre, as the instrumental actors in this great drama? What does it say to us now and to the world that he chose them? There's this, uh, in Luke, the very start of Luke uh, 1, there's this story... Uh, the part of the story it's, it, it actually it's a bit weird if you read it or if you understand it because it kind of breaks into a bit of musical theatre for a while Mary who's newly pregnant goes to visit Elizabeth who's a relative again you might be familiar with this and Elizabeth kind of does the way it's written in the narrative she sort of does a half it's almost like a bit of a spoken word piece because it goes into prose where she says how blessed are you I blessed above all other women and she does this very sort of formal greeting and blessing when she's recognizing literally literally what and who Mary is carrying and then something happens in Mary's spirit um, where she responds and she sort of um, again this is where it gets a bit of musical theater she actually sings a song I don't know if that happens in your house very often where you'll just be having a conversation and someone just automatically starts to sing. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure how uh, common that was in Jewish culture either. So I think it's okay for us to say it's a bit weird. Mary starts to sing. Does happen in someone's house. Joyce, yes. Okay, we have no problem. We have no problem imagining that that would happen in Joyce's house. Paul, Cain? Never. Again, we have no problem imagining that that ever happened. Uh, but So Mary starts singing, and it's called the, uh, the Magnificant, uh, which just means my soul magnifies, my soul glorifies. And it's, a, it's an amazing piece of literature um, where this young girl, and she was young, she was really young, says my soul glorifies the lord my spirit rejoices in god my savior for he has been mindful of the humble state uh, the humble state of his servant that's her from now on all generations will call me blessed it's like the, the magnitude of this is just washing over her and she's responding in song no wonder she responds in song this is such a big moment from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation he has performed mighty deeds with his arm he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts he has brought down rulers from their thrones he has lifted up the humble he's filled the hungry with good things and he sent the rich away empty a lot of commentators have commentated uh, that's what commentators do Surprisingly, a lot of biblical scholars have said that actually is quite a political thing she said there. It's actually quite a revolutionary thing she is saying. She's saying, again, it's in her spirit, as you know, to the degree to which her mind is catching up with what her spirit is declaring, what is about to happen will just will upend things, 
will set things right, things that are out of whack, things that, are, that lack justice. Because she's just talked about how the proud, how, well, this is what God does. When God turns up, those who are proud in their inmates, who think they're all that in a bag of chips, suddenly get humbled. And actually those who are low and, and, and who are poor and marginalized, they actually get fulfilled. I mean, this is quite a significant thing. Again, for we think probably somewhere between 13 and 15-year-old young girl, woman, to be making this statement about what is about to happen. It's an amazing prophetic thing that she's doing. He has filled the hungry with good things. He's sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham, his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. She's an amazing woman, but she's a girl. And actually, when we think about uh, the journey of Mary and Joseph, not just towards Bethlehem, but who they were, the journey of them to becoming parents and to literally sort of be pregnant with the purposes of God for all time. They were young, they were poor, and they were without power influence. It's really good to reflect on this. This is actually a historical truth. What we know about who they were says they were young. They were really young, certainly by our standards, to be parents. They were poor. This is why, uh, without power influence, this is why when they went to Bethlehem, they ended up in the shed at the back of a pub because remember the reason they went to Bethlehem because this was actually the the town of Joseph's ancestors but yet no family to stay with there it's an interesting thought isn't it if that's their hometown no town to stay with there no no means again we biblical scholars probably help us understand extrapolate a little bit here that the fact that they couldn't get a room means probably meant I guess it was full but actually the rooms that they maybe could have bought, they didn't have the means to do that. They travelled on a donkey. Everything about this story screams that they were really at the bottom strata of society. This is what drew God's favour. This is, well, this is what drew God's attention. This is what he chose. Now, this is really important for us because... Now, hold on. Just buckle up for a second here. Because of who you are and who I am, we are certainly not poor. Uh, we are not without power and influence. If we look, if we're accurate, if we're honest about just where we stand in the world right now, but also where we stand in history, we are rich. We have, we have the ability, everyone here, compared to most in history and most even in the world today, we have the ability to be in control of our own destiny. So we have power and influence. So it's actually really important for us to lean into this question because the story says that this is actually this circumstance there was something going on here that drew God's attention to say I'm going to I'm going to actually birth my purposes in this context which perhaps is quite the opposite context of most of our life so what is it here's what I, I literally we're going to talk about this I want you to wonder is there actually anything desirable about being young when I say young, we know that. Oh boy, we know this. But the idea of their young is, is their innocence. It's their, it's their lack of experience in life. I mean, there's, again, whilst we really, so much of it, modern society glorifies youth, um, that, that's been a really blip. It's only a very, very, very modern phenomenon where we have esteemed immaturity <laughs> and youth the way in which we do. 
wisdom and age because probably it goes with the other two things up there or the flip side of the other two things up there it's only really recently where it's been such a you know uh, where it hasn't been really um, a real negative to be so young certainly in that day and age so I want you to think we're actually going to break into groups of three and four we're going to talk about this and I'm going to actually even get all teacher get the whiteboard out and see if we can find some things another way of hit, uh, another path up this mountain how did this circumstance help them how was it because they were young because they were poor because they were what we might say marginalized they didn't have power and influence in their society at all how did that help them make room for god's plans because we are all about in advent how do we make room for jesus so what do we learn from the fact that god chose young poor uninfluential powerless people to be at the very center of his plans worth discussing or not really just move on big deal i think we're going to discuss it so i really mean it groups of three or four just have a chat what what do you think out of this what 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 is of benefit there in terms what helped mary and joseph make room be available be accessible for what god wanted to do through them great ready set go have a chat brainstorm talk okay just a a minute or so to finish that thought that you're on there I'll give you an example just you know and and hopefully I'm sure you would have got the idea by now but as an example, the fact that they were young, one of the attributes or one of the characteristics or distinctives about being young is that you tend to be really open to all things. By the time you are old, you've got an older, I'm not looking at anyone here, as you age, you tend to move towards a very set idea about how things should or shouldn't be done. Am I right? And so um, maybe this is well. Who discussed this sort of dynamic? The fact they were young is like, well, why not? Why not? So there's something about I'm going to put um, I'm going to put the word. There's a flexibility of spirit. Actually, I'm going to say flexibility of mind and spirit. That that would make sense. That they're open. To be available. So that's the sort of thing we're saying, well, the fact that they were young probably meant this was going on. So I'm really doing it. I'm really asking you guys, what did you talk about? I, we can go through, you just let us know maybe um, what the the attribute, like, okay, we discussed the poor meant da-da-da, just so we know, but we're going to see if we can put a bunch of stuff here on the board. Who's up? Yes. So there, there was sort of a historical reality that God had demonstrated he was, you know, not a respecter of, um, not a respecter of the proud or the, yeah, um, educated. Yep, that's right. Um, so what, how do I summarize that, um, Don? I really wanted just four words here, Don. Uh, who's got that for me in three or four words that we can say? Not, not a respecter of CVs. Is that good? We know what we mean there? of CVs good great yes Chris 
where were they? Yeah, well, that's a good question. That's where were they? Are you asking? Is that a rhetoric? Where they well, well, I mean, they certainly weren't in Bethlehem. Again, this probably adds to the story about them being isolated and being vulnerable. Their hometown, that's right. So, I mean, and there's been throughout history, there's been lots of um, sort of supposing that maybe they actually they were already shunned because of what. Remembering by now, Mary's heavily pregnant. This was this was not okay. This was not okay. Scripture talks about Joseph when he was considering what he should do. He thought the honourable thing to do would be to sort of let her go quietly. That would be considered the honourable thing to do in that sense. So there's, they're carrying a lot of shame here. Again, that made them outcasts. It's, it's you know clearly that's that's part of the. But God wasn't scared of that. <laughs> God wasn't scared of the scandal, which is you know, which is good news actually considering some of our lives we get involved in scandalous things god's not scared of that any other thoughts about what is what might have made qualified them yeah daniel humility yeah humility I'm going to bring this back even further. Yeah, nothing to lose. Yeah. But, I mean, I think if, again, what what we're trying to do is to bridge here first century um, ancient Near East into 21st century now. That's a big challenge because actually we've all got lots to lose. We've all got lots to lose in some respect. But materially, they had nothing to lose. And that was probably made them up for it. Vulnerability. Just flesh that out a little bit more for us, Alice. So uh, as an extension of that is they're also then entirely dependent on God too because of their vulnerability. They're, they're, they're really clear about to whom they were dependent upon. Great. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, in a, yeah, yep. Which is, I mean, it's this incredible irony of this story, considering what would have been the scuttlebutt of the town about Mary, um, and yet she was prepared to shoulder that, and being very aware of what people were saying, but walk in in the security of her, her innocence and purity before God. No, sort of no need for vindication, almost. Yeah. No rights. Yeah. So flesh that out a little. Yep. Yeah. So, and what 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 do you think? Extending that, what was it that then made them attractive to God 
in terms of the purpose of the fact that they had no rights, that they were seen by society to be disqualified. Yes, yeah, yeah. What, I, I'm, I'm doing one of those things that I always hate when people do it and think so, where you're leading it towards something. Let me just say it. What about the idea that, about who gets the credit? When you're disqualified, when you are, when something great happens through something lowly and humble and shameful, then clearly God gets the credit here. God is glorified. And we see that that is in Mary's heart straight away. In, the, in this beautiful verse, she's already wanting it to be really clear. If anything good happens here, it's going to be because of who God is in us. So um, uh, I'll put all that. No, no rights. Disqualified. Right. Equals God gets the glory. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great point. Great point. Yeah. Yep. So they. Ah, oh, excellent. So the way in which God manifest or came in the first place in such an intimate and real personal way, we're saying that 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 was the source of their security through this because they knew God was with them. If God could be for us, who could be against us? Even though it probably felt like everybody was. They were empowered by this sense of if God is for us, who could be against us? Out of a deep, I love what you're saying there, Ian, out of, a, out of a deep sense of relationship, not because they learned that in Sunday school, because they experienced it from the presence of God. That's great. Oh, there's so much. How do I get that in four words? Um, uh, if God is for, oh, sorry, left handed former phys ed teacher is not a good thing for legibility. If, if God is for us, dot 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 um, intimacy with God great look we could go on all day any any other things we're bursting to say here let's let's capture them this is we could go on all day when we think about it anymore we're going to come back to this we're going to sort of do a bit of a we're going to take a little half step um, sideways at the moment but we're going to come back to this again remembering this is powerful not it's one of my phrases I use a lot not because it happened but because it happens when this this is what we're saying here is these things we learn from Mary and uh, Mary and Joseph are the attributes of heart and spirit that qualify us for the purposes of God to be born through us and here it seems that their circumstances um, uh, were conducive to carrying these our challenges, our circumstances, if we're honest, are the complete opposite of this. And so we've maybe got to do some... If we're, if we're fed income and we want to be a people who carry the purposes of God, then we've got to do some work to get this in our spirit so that that draws that. And I want to suggest that's one of the challenges of being a 21st century Western Christian because it's easy to, it's easy to live like we don't really need God. It's too easy to live like that. 
And if we're waiting and creating room and saying, Emmanuel, come to us, don't be surprised if he echoes back and says, well, just do a bit of an audit and see how many of these you can tick off in your spirit. We're going to take a little half step. Where's my clicker? I've lost it. In so many ways, I've lost it. I think I put it up here. Here it is. Here it is. Because I want to, um, I want to just talk, reflect a little bit at the idea of peace, because that's the watchword, and we're going to loop this back. But peace, um, when we use the the word peace, is one of those big words where um, in scripture it can mean a lot of things, and actually it's really helpful when we're looking at the word peace. If we're talking about Jesus being the bringer of peace, being the um, the, the King of Peace, to understand what that is is really important. Um, this week I had a again think in the context of making room how do we make room for Jesus making room for Jesus means we've got to make room for, for his peace he brings that to us but he also brings it through us I had a um, really interesting uh, story the experience this week that I feel like was, was sort of serendipitous it was arranged it was a bit of a divine encounter um, you might recognise um, this is actually uh, the, the photo out in the cafe. Uh, this is Peter. And it was actually, a lot of you know this, it was actually drawn by Christy, my wife. She drew it years ago. So there was a, a season in the life of our church where uh, there was a whole lot of us who, and, and as a church, as an extension of the church deciding to make room for newly arrived refugee and asylum seekers, we, uh, we had the privilege of sharing life. Uh, with people from all over the world who, who had amazing journeys, who had amazing journeys uh, in their life. And this is Peter, who was the oldest of seven brothers, and um, he, they were from Sudan. And we shared for sort of a two or three, or a bit longer than that actually, shared a lot of time with, with Peter and his brothers. Um, and I got into an Uber on, I think it was Monday, and when I got in, to, I love catching Ubers. I love catching taxis because they're just the most fascinating people. I, I really, my dream job is to be an Uber driver, <laughs> to be a taxi. You just get in, talk to people, drive, finished, it's all done. That's it. You might not ever see them again, but you can have a great job. And you usually um, get to talk about sport or cricket. I just love in, you know, opening up a conversation. Anyway, I got into a, an Uber and straight away I thought um, my Uber driver's guy called Joseph I thought oh I think this guy's Sudanese and so we got talking and I said oh are you um, can I ask you from Sudan and he was a bit chuffed that I was able to pick he was from Sudan Aussies aren't the best uh, at culturally at recognising distinctions where usually it's like oh they're African um, and, and probably to be honest I, you know there is I'm not saying I'm able to distinguish all cultures, but Sudanese, and because we've spent so much time with Sudanese people, there is a bit of a distinct look and even a little bit in the way he spoke. And so, oh, how did how you do that? I told him the story. It turns out he knew uh, the Nyok brothers, which is not surprising because it's a community that's connected together. Um, but he knew, not only did he know um, th- their story, he knew our story. He had heard of this church. Um, because he knew particularly Peter's, this was Peter 1, there was Peter 2. It was Peter 1, Peter 2, James, John. Uh, there was, the, you know, named after, I don't think they were actually named after Bible um, books exactly, but there was a, the, the younger Peter, they're all amazing. 
amazing boys. Their journey, you know, they were part of the, um, the what was called the Lost Boys, brutal civil war in Sudan in the 80s uh, that ended up with a lot of uh, boys, particularly from the area that they were from, the Dinka um, area, that were without families. Mum and dad either killed or taken off in slavery, the daughters taken off in slavery, horrible situation, left all of these orphan boys who then, it was actually big news at the time, some of you might remember, the lost boys, they were just, there were these images that came out of Sudan of these boys just walking these, you know, thousands of them walking somewhere. And a lot of them, like Peter did, walked into Uganda, into um, Kenya to refugee camps. He then spent seven years there reuniting his family, finding all his brothers, reuniting them, and then they arrived in Australia. And that's when we uh, we met them and um, helped them settle in. The younger Peter, they all had a great sense of purpose on their life. They wanted to give back. They felt that they were so fortunate and blessed um, to be in the situation they were. And they actually, um, and the church helped with this. I think the Canes were quite involved in this. I know Glenda, the Bryants were at the time, and Christy helped form an association called the Lost Boys and Girls Association, uh, the Australian Lost Boys and Girls Association. Um, because they arrived... They were safe, but now they started dealing with the trauma of what they'd been through, all of this repressed trauma. And so Peter too and his other friends had a real sense they wanted to help and then also help all of their friends and relatives that are still in Sudan. So they started this and Joseph, my Uber driver, had been a part of, had been a recipient of this. And so he, he wanted me to tell you thank you. He wanted me to tell you, thank you, literally, and I'm not sure if he used exactly this phrase, but he might have even gone, for making room in our church for Peter and his brothers because he was able to identify that his life was blessed because of that. Because of, uh, because we as a church had made room in our lives. Um, so that was pretty special to have that whole story uh, happen. And like I said, the idea of making um, around this time, around this time for us in our life, for Christy and I, we were um, Christy had uh, been teaching for a number of years, and we'd felt like she was that God was uh, sort of prompting her to make have a season where she made room in her life. Again, I'm not sure if we used exactly that phrase, but it was certainly that intent for two things. She wanted to be more engaged socially in the community, and that's where. You know, this just kind of lined up. And so she finished work as a, as a teacher and she started working uh, for the church in the, in the rap program. But the other thing that she wanted to make space for was art because she's a phenomenal artist and the teachers over here know the last thing you want to do when you come home from weeks teaching is be creative. The creative juices kind of get sucked out of you so easily. And so we had this season in our life where the intersection of this make where she made room and we made room and we had this wonderful mix in our home and in our life of all of this art because she started painting she started drawing Um, this was actually done for a an exhibition in victoria uh newington uh, uh, josh's uh, sister who's a great writer she wrote their stories out and there was an exhibition where where there was about all all those photos out there and the, the stories of their journey but um, one of the other things she did was actually, uh, where is it? Uh, this, this one here. On our wall, she created this, it was just like a, a canvas. And she 
all sorts of arty sort of stuff, you know. It was arty, look good. That's, about, that's all on you. But she wrote this quote, Peace is not merely the absence of conflict, but the presence of justice. Peace is not merely... And it, it, this is a quote that's attributed to actually a lot of people. Um, this one in particular was attributed, or this version of, of this sort of axiom was attributed to Martin Luther King Jr., but Einstein kind of said something like it. Gandhi said something like this. There was a general who said, you know, peace is not the absence of war, but the presence of justice. And it actually takes us towards a deeper biblical understanding of the idea of peace. Because there's a very shallow understanding that says peace is just when things are quiet and when you're not fighting with someone. But for us to understand what it is to make room for Jesus and Jesus being the Prince of Peace... We've got to understand it from a biblical point of view that actually peace um, is this deep, deep, deep sort of picture of things being as they should be. The idea of shalom is that things are as they should be. And particularly in the Old Testament, as this is being developed, this idea is being developed, you'll see three words that are used all the time, almost interchangeably, in the sense in which you can't really understand biblical peace unless you understand what justice is. And you can't understand what justice is unless you understand what righteousness is. And you can't understand what peace is unless you understand what righteousness and justice. And so they're almost used interchangeably. So you have scriptures like this in Psalm 85. It says, I will listen to what God the Lord, the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him that his glory may dwell in our land. This beautiful language. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. It's saying there's this intimate relationship between righteousness and peace. And again, as soon as we hear righteousness, we've got to be careful. There's a modern sort of understanding or, or thing that we can click to where righteousness is when we do the, the right things or actually even more important, righteousness is when we don't do the naughty things. That's sort of... When we're righteous, something's righteous, it's like the holiness of God, which means he just hates sin. So to be righteous is make sure we stay away from all the bad stuff. Yes, but no. So much deeper and truer. It's connected with this idea. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Isaiah 32. Isaiah um, was the prophet in the Old Testament that had did the most was used as the mouthpiece of God to talk about the coming Messiah. He's the one who has the most messianic prophecies where he talks about the coming Jesus. And Isaiah 32 is one of his more famous ones. And he talks about kings. He says, See, a king will reign in righteousness and rulers will rule with justice. See, interchangeable terms or connected terms. Each one will be, like a, each one will be a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. In this, um, he's, Isaiah is, is drawing a picture of what true kingship looks like in the kingdom of God. When, when the king is on the throne and is ruling in a deeply, deeply biblical way, informed by, who, by the values of God, there will be justice in the land. There will be peace in the land. And it'll be like... It'll be like streams of water in the desert, a refuge from the storm, shadow, uh, and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. It's going to feel, ah, that's right. Ah, that's better. Start mapping this with, 
the way in which God continues to preference those who are marginalized, those who are without justice. There's a, there's a tilt in Scripture where God's heart is, to, is because it's an issue of justice, it's an issue of righteousness, it's an issue of peace. In 15 and 7, uh, later in this same chapter, it says, The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness live in the fertile field. There's that coupling again. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. So when righteousness is outworked in someone's life, the result will feel like peace. And here we see that when Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace, he comes and we acknowledge and we make room for him he resolves our conflict with God because there are things God does care about our behavior there are things and our brokenness and our fallen state the way we live our lives means that we go about continually harming the peace of others sometimes not by intention sometimes by intention and God's issue with that is not just that he's like a, um, a naughty, you know, a, he's scolding a naughty child, but he knows it's not good for those other people. It's not good for the earth that we live in. It's not good for communities. It's not good for us to be out of peace, out of relationship. And that creates an issue with him. So he comes and he resolves that. His righteousness resolves our conflict with God. We know, we, again, if you've been around church, we know this. His righteousness resolves our conflict with God. But that's not where it ends. That's so that we know we live, again, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, this is what Mary, if we have an intimacy with God and a union with God, we are now in great position to be doing something for God and lean into his, it prepares us. This is what Mary and Joseph tell us. So he resolves our issue of peace with God so that we can be agents to be resolving the issues of justice and righteousness and peace in our world so that peace goes through us. To understand the fullness of peace, we've got to understand the fullness of righteousness and the fullness of justice. And we've got to make room for that in our lives. We've got to be about that because that's what he was about. I'm going to... I, I want to bring this sort of full circle back to what we learned from Mary and Joseph. And in a moment, I'm just going to play a, a song um, just for a time of reflection because uh, I really believe, I deeply believe that God is wanting to reform us as a people, as a church around uh, we've been talking about this you know for a few weeks now around his mission in the world through us but to do that we've got to make room i spent the last week i told the kids they they you know they go to a, a private school and so they had the week off early though the older two were you know got very i noticed the week leading up to it they started talking about all the things they were going to do next week and I just said, oh, just be aware next week, make room because we're clearing things out. We're actually going to make, we've, we've had a year where I know if, you know, your life probably doesn't get like this. But it just feels like our house is just a series of piles of things that as we've come in and we carry and just put that pile, I'll deal with that later. I'll deal with that later. And just, uh, you know, 
lest you have come into my house it might look like I'm one of those guys you know a hoarder there needs to be an intervention there somewhere there'll be 12 cats somewhere or so this week was literally about making room in our house <laughs> and it was hard work it was painful um, for all of us but at the end of the week we're not quite yet there yet at the end of the week there is absolutely a sense of peace (laughs) that my world is ordered and there is now room for us to live in our house the way we should it was pain yes that's what thank you thank you i'm glad you like the story there's actually a bigger point there which is actually we've all got to make room it's hard work and this is where advent in this season is so important in our lives because we reset at times with the end it, it aligns with the end of the year going into next year god absolutely has kingdom purposes for your life but can you make room can you make room for peace can you make room for hope for joy for love as you experience it from God so this is a time when we reflect on what we've received but also we say how do we make room for that and this exercise of kind of going through and saying do I walk with humility do I really think there's nothing to lose? Do I look around my possessions that I have and go, I couldn't afford to lose that. If I, if I, if I lost that thing or, or this possession or this sense of privilege, it would feel like I'm losing part of myself. Mm, that could be a challenge for God. That could be a challenge for God's purposes. So we're just going to take a moment, just going to play this song you'll be familiar with this we just take a couple of moments as we as we pray because i really believe god wants to make room we want you to make room and when you do make room he will fill that with purpose and significance and we've got to do that as a church a lot of this year i feel like and in continue into next year is about how do we make room for what god's going to do in a new season so let's just if we can play that now just take a couple of moments as we close maybe look at those things there just reflect how you make room. This was produced by Cornerstone Christian Resources. It is deemed copyright and may be used for promotion. For further information about Cornerstone Christian Resources, please visit the Cornerstone website at www.homecommunityworld.com.au. Cornerstone meets at 81 Meter Parade Alderney every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Please feel free to join us. We hope you have been encouraged by this message.